You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at paintedrockadvisors at gmail.com. Hi, this is Gary Cohn, and welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, the podcast that features everything in the nonprofit, philanthropic, and business world. Today, our guest is Brian Rutberg. Brian is a graduate of Northwestern University. Brian has an undergraduate degree in literature and economics from Georgetown University, an MBA from the University of North Carolina, and a follow-up program from Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management. He is the founder and CEO of his own company called 3Com Communications, which connects leaders and their organizations with the most important stakeholders, their customers and employees. Prior to that, he had a long career, six years with Microsoft Corporation, among others. Brian is a philanthropist, a board member of the National Speakers Association, former board member of the Temple Beth Am of Seattle, and various other nonprofit organizations. Good morning, Brian. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on, Gary. Can you tell me a little bit about your path from growing up and going to college and where you are today? Wow, growing up and going to college is getting to the point where that's harder and harder to remember. I grew up in uh, Southern California. Dad was a teacher and an owner of summer camps and such. And mom helped run that business and then eventually became a retailer. And her great strength was always her people skills. So some of that, some of what I got, I come by quite naturally. Went to school back on the East Coast in Washington, D.C., and I ended up spending 20 years there, including the years where I stayed in the mid-Atlantic states and went and got a graduate degree, an MBA, because I wanted to spend time. I, I started working for some very small companies right after graduation from undergraduate school and discovered I had even though I was an English major, I discovered I had a bit of a head for business and really enjoyed the environment of sales and marketing. And I was with an ad agency for a little while and so got the, the bug around communications and messaging. So I went to grad school and came out and had a 20-year corporate career post-MBA. I was at Hewlett-Packard for about 10 years moved to Silicon Valley with the consulting firm McKinsey and Company and was with them for about four years. And then as that role ran out of steam in the early 2000s, kind of post-dot-com bust, came up to Seattle just because my wife and I knew the area, knew some people here and wanted to be here and relatively quickly landed at Microsoft and spent another half a dozen years there. All of my roles professionally in the corporate world took advantage of two core skills. I'm good at helping people find the right words to say what's on their mind, and I'm good at building relationships. So whether I was selling at Hewlett Packard into current customers, helping them use their stuff better from HP and then get more of it or whether I was running executive, the executive briefing center at Microsoft or writing speeches for the executive 
who was running Microsoft's global customer support operations, building relationships and making connections between people and aiding all of that by being a high quality, clear communicator. That's what turned into as I left Microsoft about 11 years ago at the end of that 20 year corporate journey, turned me into someone who's now able to work with the clients that I'm able to bring on board and help them build stronger relationships well, and be about, clearer communicators. Yeah. Let's talk a little about your skill set. You, you said a couple of things that were very important. I want my listeners, they've heard it before, I think in other podcasts, but the idea of being able to be a public speaker and be able to communicate is so important in the business world, but it's not really a focus of universities as a skill set. How did you pick that up yourself or just came naturally? A lot of it came naturally, right? The the gift of, I guess the gift of not having anxiety around speaking is something that's innate. And I don't, I mean, it, I certainly help people overcome that in the coaching and workshops that I do. But the real skill of being able to put together a compelling narrative arc and make people interested in what you have to say and able to learn from it, the audience engagement. Some of that comes naturally, but there's a lot that can be studied. So as a professional, joining the National Speakers Association has given me a great gift of being able to learn from people who've just mastered the art of being on stage, connecting with the Association for Talent Development, which is a training and development focused or learning and development focused or has taught me about engaging audiences like uh, in front of a classroom or in front of an auditorium. Right. One of the concerns uh, that people talk about with the younger generation, whether you call them millennials, millennials or whatever we whatever tagline you want to put on it is that they do a lot of texting, they do a lot of posting, but they don't do a lot of speaking to each other. And, and uh, I think that's one of the skill sets that uh, is lacking in today's world. I've got nephews and nieces in their 30s and 40s that are not able to communicate well in the business. They have good jobs and they pay well, but uh, getting the message out in a, in a, in a cogent way is, is not easy for them. I think there's a yes and there and the, the the yes is sure that's much more visible and yet you and i in our generation there were always introverts and folks who were better at making their emotions known through writing and who opted for roles where they were behind the scenes but there will always be the flip side of that. There will always be extroverts. There will always be people who have the verbal gift. I mean, these are the English majors and history majors more so than say the computer science majors. I think they're still out there and I've had the privilege of knowing some number of really talented 20 and 30 somethings who are after broad communications and want to be on stages or in front of classrooms or finding a larger audience, say, instead of via texting. But think about what people are doing with YouTube or Instagram or TikTok, where suddenly they're reaching tens or hundreds of thousands of people. It's just a different platform than speaking from a keynote stage. Right. I like to say I have 4,000 listeners to my podcast. I'm on to figure out how to get a million, but I'm not there yet. Right? 
<clears throat> it's amazing how that kind of kind of spirals and snowballs in effect. Tell us a little bit about your company today, what you're doing, and and uh, how what your involvement is with the world. Increasingly, it seems like I've got two companies, and, and it's really just a difference in focus. Um, on the one hand, I personally am tied to, I mean, if you want this guy to do a, a keynote presentation for you, you're going to get this guy, right? That's not scalable, except as I choose to take more time for it. And the same thing with the consulting that I do, helping organizations either look at the way they're connecting with their current customer base or whatever audience they want me to focus on. Sometimes it's employees in the world of nonprofits and philanthropy. It's often thinking about donors, currently working on an engagement with uh, the Seattle Aquarium, where in addition to donors, we're looking at the audience of visitors to the aquarium and visitors to their online presence as well as the local and international conservation communities that they serve. But you know, I'm able to do consulting to help people find the right message in order to connect with the audiences they want and run the right programs and stuff. And that too, it's you know, scalable to the extent I'm willing to spend more time on it and have someone who needs that. The other side of the business that's getting increasingly exciting is just training getting, putting on workshops and offering one-on-one -on -one coaching, which while it's all my intellectual property getting into it, there's plenty of other people who now deliver these courses for our clients, people who are really talented at that front of room experience and who take what I have known and learned over the years and been able to put into programs and then go deliver them. So 3C Communications is at its heart a coaching and training company, and I happen to do some number of things that help extend the brand. Well, you know, it's interesting. I do a lot of consulting in the nonprofit sector, advising development committees and boards and mm -hmm. how to process and reach their goals and actually even identify their goals. But yeah. the better, I agree, the better part of, the, of life is coaching people one-on-one -on -one and in small group workshops. It's a lot of fun to see people grow and, and uh, expand their knowledge and their confidence level in, in the work they do. Um, so on the philanthropy side, how did you get involved with philanthropy in the beginning? I mean, you got involved in a couple of projects. What? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it starts with where my heart is. I mean, even before I was you know, out there in the professional world, I was drawn to some of the things I'm still, you know, so closely drawn to anything that involved feeding people or putting roofs over people's heads has always spoken to me. My parents did a great job of having adult conversations with my brother and me that made us aware when we were young, just how fortunate we were. And certain you know, inalienable rights to, to borrow a phrase, like having enough to eat and having a place to sleep that's not a tent on the sidewalk, that, you know, that's where the emotion started. And it only has made sense as I went through my corporate career, I worked with organizations that I was proud to work with that had a values set that included 
supporting philanthropy. And once I got out, and during that time of my corporate years, I served on some local boards and my wife and I used our own, our, our labor and our money to support the things that were meaningful to us. And since stepping out into the more entrepreneurial world, it's just happened that through connections I've got, opportunities have come my way. I still do a lot of volunteering. Often it's using the core skills that I have, training people, helping people have better fundraising conversations, things like that. But when it comes down to messaging, for a philanthropic organization to be able to clearly articulate to its audience what their benefit is and how it benefits the donor or even the recipient of services to engage with this particular nonprofit, that's I mean, that's really meaningful. And the clients I've had the privilege of working with, some of them want to save the world. Some of them want to save a local landscape. Some of them want to do things like just have a parkland dedicated as an off-leash area, but they all are really trying to make a difference for people who are going to appreciate it. And that kind of putting a little more love into the world, one relationship at a time, it's one thing to sell one more widget. It's another thing to actually change someone's life. And that's the, that's the, the question about corporate philanthropy is whether corporations do philanthropy to do marketing and advertising successes or whether they're doing it really out of their heart. And uh, one of the things we learned in the Bay Area, uh, and I was involved in the SF Food Bank for many years on their board, and I recall bringing my daughter to separate thousands of kiwi fruit, you know, the good from the bad in boxes for the food uh-huh. bank, that corporations in the Bay Area tend to want to get their employees involved for social reasons, not for advertising or marketing reasons. Uh, and I think there are other, other corporations in America that just look at putting their dollars out there and getting the publicity about what they do. I mean, we hear a lot these days about you know, greenwashing and pinkwashing, you know, all of the things that companies can do in the hopes that they will reflect back well on them. My the, the point I reach is it's putting good into the world and thinking about actions over intentions and knowing that the actions are making the right things happen, whether it's sorting kiwis or uh, building a habitat for humanity place. I mean, if it if a company views it as a great team building exercise, and it happens to do good, or it's a way of getting their name out there into the community as, yep, we're community spirited and we love doing good things for our community or our planet. I, I, I try not to get too wrapped up in, yes, but are they doing it for the right reasons? Because the right <laughs> outcome still seems to be happening, right? Very good, yeah, yeah. So you know, tell me uh, in your business career, did you have any mentors that were really especially had a great impact on your on your growth and your life in the business world. Yes, in in the business world, I mean, first of all, watching my folks do what they were good at was certainly instructive from a young age. I didn't really have much visibility into my dad's life as a teacher, but I got to see 
the way he turned it on for meeting parents of kids who were going to come to the camps that he was running and engaging with the business partners that he had and just the way he ran things at the summer camps that I lived at each summer. Uh, and then my mom with my grandmother, as I got towards high school years, opening up a retail shop and the way she worked with vendors and the way she worked to make her clientele feel great about what they were doing. But then in the corporate world, I had two really good bosses, one of whom, in addition to being a boss early in my career, at Hewlett Packard, we've actually remained in touch with over, we've remained in touch with each other over the years. And now on three or four separate occasions, he's brought me in to consult with organizations that he's been with. But people who've taught me everything from not to get too worked up, if not to not to care more about an outcome than the client seems to care, you know, helping fight the, the tendency towards perfectionism and things like that. Uh, and who have, frankly, what I've needed most at different times in my career is someone to say, what you're giving is more than good enough. Don't take your skills for granted. That's kind of cool. And on the, the more you know, emotional and giving back side, watching some number of people whom I respect a whole lot, make sure that their schedule included time for giving back, not just writing checks, but getting you know, the metaphorical dirt under the fingernails or serving right. on boards or going and actually putting up the lumber for that Habitat for Humanity house. Those, those folks have led me down a path to understand that unless you're making time for feeding that part of your life, you're not as whole as you could be. Uh, and there have been you know, rabbis and other spiritual leaders who have brought me down the same path, too, and helped me arrive at the place that I'm at now. Good. You're up in the Seattle area. I'm down in the Los Angeles area, and we both have homeless issues that relate to the <laughs> problems in society. And one of the questions I always have for people is that, and I'm on a board called Safe Parking LA, where we provide parking lots for people who live in their cars to park mm -hmm. safely at night with security and intake processes and transitional housing. We also have a lot of people that say not in my backyard kind of thing. So like yes. right now we've got a, a old hotel in Ventura Boulevard down here that they're going to convert the 200 rooms into homeless uh, habitat, so to speak. And the, and the neighborhood is either in favor or in an uproar over the whole thing. How do you tie that in, in this? How does that work in the Seattle area? We're experiencing the same conversations and I suspect you and I share the same frustration with the the nimbyism the not in my backyard approach uh I'm a big believer in the interconnectedness of all things I mean truly a there but for the grace of God go I perspective right and knowing that so many of those who are unhoused are for lack of a better phrase, victims of circumstance more than of choice. Addiction is a, is a terrible thing and it leads some folks down a path of, of working themselves out of house and home as the saying goes. There's plenty of folks who just, I had dinner with a friend last night whose rent just went up $400. He's in a position to shuffle some priorities and make sure that he's making rent. 
there's a lot of people where, you know, being asked to come up with an additional $400 for rent when the price of gas is going up, the price of food is going up, uh, childcare is expensive. It, it really is a, these are people like you and me who maybe haven't had some of the advantages that we've had. And it, it strikes me as just a, a social mechanism disconnect that we have these problems in the first place. But as long as we have them, it strikes me as graceless to be fortunate and be able to say somehow, mm, no, not in my backyard. Right. I want to use my gifts to help persuade people that if they look at it through a slightly different lens, the people who have no shelter today other than you know, tent encampments, they can be really good neighbors and they can be super grateful for the opportunity to have a roof over their head and a place to safely feed their kids. And I don't know, I've, I've met too many single parent families where the one parent with the kids has gotten out of an abusive situation or full families, two parent families where they just haven't been able to make the rent to and, believe and that every homeless person is a threat. It just ain't right. that way. And and the, the advent of, of, of the COVID uh, problem, you know, when people lost their jobs over COVID, that also pointed out how, how, how people are really more sensitive to any change in their life could have a major impact, you know, and, and, and we don't really think about that. But you said, well, you know, uh, we're lucky to be where we are, but, you know, a couple of bad situations or an accident or something, you could be in the same place. And, you know, I... I've always felt the presence of a familial safety net. Right. A lot of people don't have that. And the holes that have appeared in what we used to call the social safety net have gotten much larger and much more pronounced. And many of those, much of that social safety net was barely there in the first place for people of color, people born right. to lesser circumstances. And it, it, it strikes me as a, a, a set of questions that as a society, we ought to be asking ourselves that we're simply not. And so it's left to those of us who do have a conscience and a vote and a voice to try and make things just a little bit better. And if we get lucky, they become a lot better. Well, that's, that's a good message. I mean, I did a podcast uh, last month I actually interviewed my brother for the uh, on the on the podcast, my twin, and we came from a very uh, disjointed family, a broken home. We were working from the time we were sixteen years age on, uh, put ourselves through college, the whole thing. But we had our safety net was our synagogue and the summer camp that we went to when the synagogue gave us scholarships to go when we were sixteen years mm -hmm. old. And those friendships are there today, you know, 50 years later. I'm on the board of Safe Parking LA and I was brought on the board by one of my mentors who is yeah. now retiring from the board. He's 84 years old. Uh, and he has touched my life a number of times and kept me out of trouble, <laughs> not knowing so at the time. You know, it's very interesting. We all need people like that in our lives and we're not all fortunate enough to have those kinds of people in our lives. And I think that's why I'm, I'm very open to, you know, when someone calls me and says, you know, can we talk about a job transition or can we talk about um, changing my lifestyle or whatever? I'm always there to talk to people and help them. I've got, I had a guy recently call me and 
he grew up in the synagogue I ran at one time and uh, his parents and I were friends and he called me he's 40 years old and he's looking at changing into the nonprofit world and wants my advice and I'm always happy to do that for people no that's that's terrific and I know it comes from the heart both from this conversation and from you know, the prior conversations we've had where we've actually met through you know, people like us who had right. relatively similar upbringings and had the same great experience with finding mentors through summer camp experiences and such. And, and let me put in a big plus one for you. You mentioned that you came out of a home that didn't, you know, that didn't stay together uh, and started working at 16 and that made a difference for you. So there's one thing we have in common, uh, you know, although my folks are both still alive and generally still happy together after I think almost 64 years of marriage now, I understood that at about age 16, it was time for me to find a job. And the, the learning what it takes to get out into the world and force yourself to be part of call it commercial society whether you have to work or whether whether you have to work to help your family or whether you have to work to get by or whether you just have to work as was my case so you would have some money you could call your own instead of always having a handout for the folks there is something about getting to work relatively early that seems to me to be just a, a good predictor of some sort of emotional balance and openness later in life. Very good. Very good. What are uh, some of your goals in the coming years that you're looking forward to? What are some things you want to achieve going forward? Well, I have a daughter <laughs> getting married. I have a daughter getting married this summer and oh, wonderful. <laughs> you know, helping, helping her and her fiance both have you know, the experience of their lives with the wedding and being able to welcome friends and family from all different sections of our life to the Seattle area. You know, getting to that and making sure that the kids feel like they're started off on the right foot that's, of course, a big goal. On the professional level, I, I have a deep desire to grow the impact of what I'm working on now, whether it's commercial or philanthropic clients. I know that the ability to say what's on your mind and to be able to draw people into conversation is an absolutely critical skill, both for advancing the mission of an organization, but also for making people feel confident, comfortable in their own skin and proud of the impact they're able to have. That's really what I feel like I'm able to deliver. So the thought of growing the business to be able to do more of that, having me do more speaking, more consulting and getting more people through workshops and one-on-one -on -one coaching. If it leaves people at the end feeling a little more confident that the good they want to put into the world, they're capable of doing it. That that's, that's what I'm focused on for the next few years is growing the business, not just to see the the checks come in, although that is a very nice, I'd <laughs> like um, to, to be able to have the kind of impact I feel like I'm capable of having and bring the gifts that I've been given to help others achieve their objectives. On the philanthropic side, I, the more work I've done with the aquarium, I'm on a few boards now, professional associations and, and one pure sort of charity philanthropy, but 
looking at the board members of the Seattle Aquarium that I've had the privilege of working with on this latest project with them around messaging, I'm thinking, I haven't been on a big board before uh, for a true sizable philanthropic association. And there's a lot that I care about. We love the Pacific Northwest Ballet. I do think that the aquarium is a super cool place. And I know there's other organizations that aren't like professional organizations where it might be good to be able to bring my gifts there. So I, I suspect that as some of my current board service expires you know, over the years as I term limit out or finish leadership roles, thinking about getting into some place where I can have even more impact and kind of play with the bigger boys and girls, that feels like something that's gonna be meaningful as I move into the next decade of my life and my work. One of the things I found when I worked on larger boards, so I was on the board of the American Red Cross in the Bay Area, was when I, in a smaller board, you're more hands-on in the process of decision-making and things. In a big company or a big nonprofit, you're more of a, they, they give you the solutions, you don't get involved as much in the day-to-day, -day, uh, which is fine, you know, but it's a different different approach. What do you what do you like to do when you're not working? Yeah, I mean, I'm, there's a couple of things. I, well, I am, you know, monstrously intellectually curious about the work that I do and it is part of my downtime to bury myself in the literature of being a better communicator and connector of people and finding ways to make people happy in my case you know through the commercial relationships that they enjoy but I'm also a little bit obsessed with politics and governance and I do a certain amount of reading there lately I've been reading a lot about the interconnectedness of all things with a little bit of Jewish literature, a little bit of Buddhist literature and such, finding ways to weave in stories about food and diet into that as I've, over the last couple of years, moved towards a more plant-based diet, trying to be a little more mindful of the planet and its needs. And I live in Seattle, which has an enormous amount of outdoor diversions, things that you can do on the water, things that you can do on the mountains. So traveling and exploring and hiking and things like that are somehow all fit into my days as well. Very good. And uh, what did I forget to ask you that I should have brought up uh, uh, that you want to get a message out to people about? I think we've covered a lot of really cool ground. The, the opportunity the the philosophy that I work from is the opportunity for people for people to view their work through the lens of greater goals to be able to look beyond the transactional element of how you show up in the world and understand where the spiritual element of the spiritual side of you is taking you and how to get these things into harmony. That's just become increasingly visible to me as I've matured. Yeah. And so this, this lesson from the phrase I used earlier, there, but for the grace of God, go I, we are all interconnected. We are all part of the same whole and truly, if you can sleep at night, fully well knowing that there's others who are suffering that do the self-examination that leads to the desire to 
make the world a better place with every action that you take and every day that you live. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in person when I get up to Seattle. What an absolute pleasure. And yeah, as the world opens up again, I know I'll find myself back down in the LA area too. Thank you for listening. We want to stay connected with you. Be sure to stay connected with our community by giving a like to our Facebook page and following our Instagram at paintedrock underscore advisors. Our podcast is available on all of your favorite platforms. We'll see you at our next release. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.